As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Until Saturday. Max and Sam here with you after week two. I am Sam Kahn, college football tech president of The Athletic, joined as always by my great friend, Senior writer at the Athletic, Max Olson. Max, how are you doing today? Tired, buddy. I'm 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 tired. How are you? <laughs> I am good. Did you did you have some good time in Boulder? And did you have some good eats? I know you've eaten a lot on this uh, official visit, supported by Stoha, by the way. Uh, but did you? Are you easing back in? Or are you still like eating like crazy when you go on these trips after after you went to Colorado this weekend? I I had a salad for lunch today. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we're trying to get back <laughs> on the right track here after the uh after the adventures of august um had, went to some good spots um went to went to avanti food and beverage with ari and david ubbin on friday afternoon that was a really cool like food hall kind of spot we went to the sink for dinner had a delicious burger there that that ubbin swore by that was like um it was like bacon jam and like a griddled cheese curd on the burger pretty pretty right. serious that, it, that was a good spot but but no now now we're back home and we need to you know drink water and eat rice and just try to find you know find bag salads and all sorts of uh, boring things to try to try to improve my life. How are you eating? I I, I am eating okay. Uh, I, I I need to be a little bit better. The, the the weekends are hard with the the long Saturdays and uh, trying to monitor all these games and 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 the pods and all that stuff. So. Uh, I could certainly be better. By the way, man, our grocery store just had a deal three three for six bucks on Doritos. Like when you see those kinds of things, <laughs> you're just like, how am I supposed to? How am I supposed to make good choices when those kinds of deals are available to you? You know? Yeah. And the problem is too is when you have kids and there's stuff for the kids, like junk food for them to eat. It's kind of hard not to just go in there and grab it out of the pantry. But hundred uh, percent. But yeah, the great show for you guys today. Uh, got special guest Richard Johnson, college football writer. At SI.com, also co-host of the Split Zone Duo podcast. He'll he'll come in and we'll talk uh, a lot of different topics. And and we'll, we'll also have uh, a discussion, a temperature check on coaches. We're a couple weeks in. We've had uh, some some interesting performances from across the country. And we've got some coaches who have had some hot starts and some coaches who've had some not-so-hot starts. So we'll do a little bit of a temperature check on uh, where some coaches are. But first, we'll talk about the Pac-12 and their hot start. Be sure, of course, as always, follow the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow until Saturday then. Drop us a five-star review. 
Leave questions and reviews. You can use them for mailbag segments. We'll answer on the show. Subscribe to Until Saturday on YouTube. Join us live every Thursday for the preview show with picks. Saturday nights for the reaction show. Sunday for the Sunday sound off. You and Ari and Ubman had a great uh, time on Sunday afternoon doing that. And then, of course, uh, leave a voicemail or text 316-462-9852, 316-462-9852. Leave those voicemails because that makes the Sunday sound off yeah, show. We really love fun. those voicemails. Yeah. Bring them on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's It's been really good. So one of them the other day, I certainly sounded like somebody had been sauced up a little bit when he called in. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're welcoming for all the voicemails. Sign up for the That's Until right. Saturday newsletter. Make sure you get your daily fill of college football news right in your inbox. Links to those in the show's description. And, of course, check out the official visit. We've had Ohio State. We've had Michigan. I'm very jealous of the places you guys have eaten so far that I don't know how you and Ari tackled that burger, uh, which was bigger than my head. But check sure out the, uh, the athletic we got, YouTube channel We got channel another one out visit. Thursday featuring a school. What's the right way to give a hint? A school that has recently won two national championships. Ah, okay. We'll see. We'll see if the listener can figure <laughs> out which one that is. That's up next. Yeah, it's good. Those have been really good. Those have been some fun. Uh, as as R I think puts it, the uh, diners, drives, and dives take on college football town. So good stuff. But let's start with our big topic: Pac-12 dominant start for the Pac-12. The latest AP poll that came out on Sunday: eight teams from the Pac-12 in the AP top twenty-five: USC, Washington, Utah, Oregon, Oregon State, Colorado, Washington State, and UCLA. Max, I feel like this is the conference that probably should hang around for a little bit, don't you think? It's incredible. It reminds me of when I first moved to Austin in 2012 um, and we moved into our new neighborhood. Um, there was a blockbuster that a couple blocks away and it was going out of business. And we went in there and we bought like 20 DVDs, you know, for like 20 <laughs> bucks or whatever. They're just like in those white sleeves, the cheap white sleeves. And we we're just like, this is the greatest blockbuster of all time. Like, this is what a, what an amazing experience. And that's how you know when you announce you're going out of business, a lot of people show up. You know, a lot of people enjoy the product even more <laughs> when they know that it's going away. And uh, obviously, we're getting it for a discount this year. Um, it bums. I mean, it does bump when you watch this. Like, you watch how good these teams are this year. Like we say, eight of them in the top twenty five, and deservedly so right now. Like, it it is legitimately a bummer that they will not keep playing together. Um, and that this is like really the end. Like that's it's bizarre, but especially bizarre that, that George KFF couldn't figure out a way to to sell this because it feels like a, a kind of a peak moment right now for the conference in terms of I mean they might beat each other up and not have a playoff team. We'll see. But like these are some of the most fun team to watch, most fun teams to watch in the country right now, Sam. Yeah, no doubt. You know, Washington State had its big win over uh, Wisconsin. That was that was a huge win. Uh, Utah went on the road and beat Baylor, Texas Tech, uh, Oregon beat Texas Tech in a last second. That was a thriller. That one went back and wild all, all the way to the end. Uh, Washington's offense has been dominant, uh, so far. Oregon State, we, we, we mentioned them, but in the past that they're one of the two teams like Washington State's kind of getting left out of this thing, but they, they've had a great start and that program has really risen under Jonathan Smith. And of course the biggest story in, in all of college football right now is Colorado and, and what Deion Sanders and, and company are doing. So, and you yeah, didn't even mention it, USC. I mean, you know, I USC is USC. going to end up probably being one of the most much watch must watch teams of the, of the whole season, probably. But Colorado <laughs> has surpassed all the uh, all all the hype on that. Yeah, it's twenty one and four record so far for the Pac twelve, six and three in Power Five non conference games. 
uh, and five of the ten top ten quarterbacks in passing yards per game this season, not including Caleb Williams. Uh, it, it's uh, that there there's there's a lot of talent in this conference. You know, talk about Michael Penix, watching him throw the ball. It's throws it like a laser. It's a lot of fun to watch. They've got a ton of great receivers at Washington. Uh, Cam Ward had a great performance uh, for sure Wazoo uh, against Wisconsin. Uh, and, and, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a really fun start. And I think we all talked about this, right? We talked about this in the off season, even though we had so much discourse about the survival of the PAC 12, I think a lot of us understood that because of the quarterbacks that were coming back, that this, this conference had the potential to be a ton of fun. And so far it's living up to that billing. Yeah, totally. I, and I think, you know, you go look at it six and three in power five non-conference games. Um, the three losses over the weekend were all close games too. I mean, Arizona state, I thought played fairly well against Oklahoma state, um, despite the final score, um, Cal hung in there with, with Auburn, which was a uh, hilarious. That's the hilarious type of matchup that we're just going to start getting going forward from this conference realignment. We're going to have ACC schools playing Cal at night and stuff like that. Um, and then we, you know, you, you also had, um, Arizona go to, to overtime with Mississippi state. So, I, I think that the, that league has acquitted itself really well. And it's not just that we've got a bunch of teams that look like they have playoff potential. And, and we have a lot, those teams all have like Heisman, like guys that should be in the Heisman conversation. But I think you're kind of seeing the depth of the conference as well. Um, it, with, with some of the upsets that, that happen, you know, some of the wins that happened over the weekend and, you know, it's, it's going to be a really fun race. I, I'm excited that it starts not this week, but next week, we get into Pac-12 play, and we've already got some good matchups right away. UCLA at Utah, Colorado at Oregon, which I, I would assume big noon kickoff and game day, and everybody will be at that one too, right? <laughs> um, and then we've got big we noon get kickoff. The, just gonna they're just gonna post up in Boulder, Colorado. That's just how it's gonna go, I guess. For big, I, I was talking with uh, Pat Forty in the post game room at, at Colorado um, at, at that game, and I was like, "What if a bunch of media organizations went in on an Airbnb together?" Like just the biggest Airbnb <laughs> we can find in Boulder and everyone can just stay like you can't bring your family and kids and all that stuff, but everyone can just, I mean, you've done that in college station, Sam. Like if we just had a house yes. that we could just go hang at when we're passing through because everybody has to pass through, mm-hmm. everybody has to fly into Denver and pass through Boulder this season. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is. It, you know, it's, it's not a bad idea. Let's, let's work smarter, not harder. Let's, let's be efficient here. That's so right. uh, they're, they're posting up there, but yeah, to your point, it, it's. I'm glad that it's happening. I'm glad that the Pac-12 is surviving, but it, it's unfortunate that it comes under the circumstance that it does. Jake Dickert, mm-hmm. the head coach at Washington State, after that win, he, well, even earlier this offseason, after the news of the Pac-12 breaking up, he had uh, some really uh, emotional words, and and after the Wisconsin win, he had an emotional response. After that, let's let's take a listen. And then, then this moment, it's everything. We belong in the Power Five. These kids have worked their ass off. I'm just so damn proud of them to, to double down in the moment. And we're all we got. We're all we need. Yeah, Jake's been real uh, consistent with that message. We're, we're all we've got. We're all we need. And even after the, the Pac-12 initially fell apart. Uh, and, and he's right. He's right. They deserve to be in the Power Five conversation. And essentially mm-hmm. the reason they're getting left out is because some TV execs just decided they're not worth including in in that revenue pie that the other ones that have gone to other conferences are. And 
you know, Oregon State is in that same boat, and it's unfortunate. And, and we've talked about this at nauseum. And I, I, I remember this going going down with Houston, SMU, TCU, and Rice. You know, back in 1995, and it was the same mm-hmm. reasoning. And mm-hmm. it, it it devastated those programs in a major way. And I I don't know how much of an impact it will have on Oregon State and Washington State. I know financially, it's going to have a massive impact because you're talking. Half of their budgets come from media rights revenue, which is obviously going to drop substantially whenever they end up in the final version of what their conference is. But that's what what makes me makes this whole thing bittersweet with the Pac-12 right now is that let's enjoy it while we can. But man, it stinks that Washington State is not going to be in that same group and in that same level moving forward. Gosh, I mean, if you're Jake Dickert and you're Jonathan Smith, you're, you're probably a little bit worried that people are going to come after your roster this offseason too, right? But you kind of use that that whole Power Five thing against you a little bit, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's um, it's just such a precarious position to be in. And, and we were reminded last week, Sam, that this stuff, you know, I know the ACC picked up Cal, Stanford, and SMU, but this stuff is still not over. It's still not resolved. And and you've got, um, you know, the next step here obviously is is Oregon State and Washington State have to figure out their future and and do so very quickly here. And so, you know, they filed their lawsuit. You get the lawyers involved here because they are trying to essentially secure control of the Pac-12 and and, and primarily, you know, it, it, most importantly, its board um, so that it can not just make decisions, but maintain potentially maintain the name, maintain the assets, maintain the, the money and, and the A5 status that uh, kind of comes with this because it, I mean, if all these other schools are leaving the conference, it doesn't make sense for them to have say in, uh, in, in where this thing is going here. Um, so very curious to see how that, uh, gets resolved here. And, and if they can gain the control they need, is that, you know, is the future there, a sort of a, a friendly merger with the mountain West where it's all under the PAC 12 banner. Um, and then is that, you know, what's the perception of that league? But those schools are in such a tough spot. And like, how could you not feel for them and for their fan bases um, to, you know, that this uncertainty and it's just the reality of where they're going to end up. It doesn't, doesn't feel good to anybody. Yeah. And, and there's livelihoods in, in that are going to fall, you know, under the impact of this. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the, that's the difficult part of it. Uh, but it, it is, you know, the, the success that they're enjoying now, it's a testament to the obviously the work, the development that those those programs have done, those head coaches, uh, those athletic departments, and and so far they're off to a really good start. And uh, like I said, it's it makes for a really fun Pac-12. Uh, I think we we may have end up ha- having a playoff team come out of this group, uh, and and it's gonna I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch as we go out through the season. But I think that'd be uh, amazing but, if that if that Pac-12 title game, that last Pac-12 title game as we know it, is you know basically a play in for a playoff spot. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and because I, they've won non-conference chance. games, they potentially they're setting up for that pretty well. Yeah, no, there's, there's no doubt the the strength of schedule so far has been really good. And so I, I think there's a real possibility of that. And, and it'll be a lot of fun. That, that's what we, that's what we want to see. We want to see some stakes. And so many times over the years, the PAC 12, we've had this conversation in week one, week two, week three in September, the PAC 12 out of the playoff conversation. Well, <laughs> right now we've got eight teams in the top 25. And so, there's the the conference's viability in the playoff is very much alive right now, and so that's that's really cool to see. Uh, let's let's go beyond the Pac-12 and and talk about some other topics with with our guest Richard Johnson. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've got a special guest joining the show today, one of my favorite people in this industry, Richard Johnson, National College Football Writer for SI.com, also a co-host of the Split Zone Duo podcast with Stephen Godfrey and Alex Kirshner. Uh, by the way, I'm a patron, so when, you, when you're not listening to Until Saturday, be sure to listen to Split Zone Duo, right? RJ, how are you, sir? How is uh how is how are you? Have you recovered from your trip? You were at Texas Alabama this weekend. Have you recovered from your trip to uh, uh, not not really? Uh, but it's good to be home. It was good to be uh, on the road. That's the first game I've done this season. It's good to be on the road. Uh, good to be at that game in that atmosphere. I mean, you know that that place can be a church when it's New Mexico State or UMass in town, as many other places can be. But for the big games and the big ones, it cranks up. Um, but obviously, at the end, it was the uh, the orange clad corner of the stadium that was uh, that was doing plenty of the cheering, and and it was it was really a fun game to be at. That's awesome. Uh, so so as we get started here with you, we want to do a little something fun. Uh, we're, we're a couple weeks into the season. We've gotten to see a little bit of teams. We're getting to feel for where everybody is. So we want to ask for a few different teams. Do you believe? Do you believe? And <laughs> yes, yes, Dion. Dion's Dion's asking, "Do you believe?" So we're going to go through some some teams here and some scenarios, and we're going to ask. And remember, you, Richard, if if you say you don't believe, then it's personal. Okay, that's right. So it's either do you believe? <laughs> if you don't, it's personal. You don't believe. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, it's one hundred percent personal. And, and Dion and Shadur are going to call you out in, in, in the post game. So just just keep that in mind. But let's start with Texas. You saw them live. Uh, you saw them what they did to Alabama. Do you believe Texas is a legitimate playoff team? Yes. God, that's going to get clipped <laughs> hard. Um, yeah. He did it. He said it. That is, is going to get clipped so hard. Um, look, I was thinking Dark Horse coming into the season, to be completely honest with you. I think I said it on our podcast. Um, I was interested in them. What I saw on Saturday is – the, the one concerning thing I will say this about Texas, um, their ability to run the – now, at the end, their ability to run the ball when everybody knew they were going to, going to run the ball did prove positive. Sark even mentioned that after the game. He said that was the biggest thing and is the biggest thing he looks at when you talk about the running game. So that was nice to see. The rest of the game, running the ball was a little bit of a different proposition because Alabama's front is also really good. I've been really impressed with Texas up front this whole season. Um, I thought they played pretty well in the game on Saturday. I mean, they absolutely collapsed pockets around Jalen Milrow. Uh, Milrow was able to make stuff happen because he's a phenomenal athlete. But I think Texas up front 
is is going to be the defining factor here this season. I think defensively up front, they do have the juice. Offensively, I have no issues with particularly them going into in a, a one-game situation with a bespoke kind of game plan, right? That's what Sark – it's Sark's superpower. It's what he's one of the best at in college football, coming into a game uh, and having a game plan that's that's going to keep you on your toes, keep you on edge, and, and be able to – the way that they, you know, the run game was not exactly going so well in the first three quarters of the game. And so they didn't really press it. They didn't really stay on it. They said, we'll go sideways. We'll screen you. We'll run constraint planes. And, uh, and then we'll hit you over the top. And and so I really thought they were on point on Saturday with those things. But yeah, looking at, looking at what Texas was able to do on Saturday, being able to take legitimate haymakers from Alabama and, and keep on swinging themselves and really finish the drill, finish the mission. Uh, that they started last year. I'm I'm bullish on this Texas team. I'm curious, Richard, just from from watching that live. Um, on the other side of that, too, like wh- where do you think Alabama goes from here, here with Jalen Milrow? Because I'm looking looking at some of the numbers from that game. Like th- two games in now, he has run the. We take out sacks. He's run the ball 15 times a season. Ten of them have been scrambles. Like there's not really a whole lot of designing. I feel like to the skill set there. I'm curious what you thought. Like. It, it, the Alabama offensive identity here going forward. Obviously, they don't really want to bench him, or else they, and maybe there just wasn't a moment for that in the game. We'll see, right, how it plays out. But like, where do, offensively, where do you think Alabama goes from here? Nick Saban actually said he thought about it. Um, he said, you know, it didn't come to a, it didn't elevate to a discussion, and it, it's not something obviously that didn't action it. But he thought about it. I mean, and you have to think about it when you play as poorly as he did throwing the ball. I mean, there's no secret. Mm-hmm. He did not play well throwing the ball. And Alabama got into their nightmare scenario, which is we have to be pass first, pass centric, and they don't have that gear right now. Part of that is because of the receivers, the receiving talent that they don't have. The other thing is, yeah, what they have a quarterback and what they don't have a quarterback. Uh, I think he struggles when he's a pure drop back passer. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the other thing is, I would say, get some design QB run game in there, man. You know, they talked all season and even showed in week one that they are ready, willing, and able to spam 12 personnel, two tight end sets. But then you get into the game on Saturday and they didn't really do that a ton. They did it a little bit in the first quarter, but it's not something that they really stuck with. So I wonder if, you know, 12 personnel, get some more design QB runs in there um, and, and try to use his ability to the best of his ability moving forward uh but you know if they get into into drop back passing situations i think it's pretty clear there's a limitation there yeah i'm I'm curious you mentioned the the run game uh i i thought and steve sarkisian talked about this on monday is that nobody runs in alabama and they weren't going to press like you said they weren't going to press the issue when they realized it was going to be tough sledding early on but i i thought that was a real feather in his cap and you mentioned the game planning i i I thought it was terrific, and that—that's the thing is, this team, this Texas team, has had a lot of lulls throughout the seasons or throughout the past years. Uh, the third quarter lull, fourth quarter, early fourth quarter lull, where they come out hot because that opening script is good. But I thought the, the way he adjusted down the stretch was really impressive, and and the way they attacked. And the one thing that stood out is they didn't play just to kind of manage the game and get to the end. They were still taking shots deep down deep in the game I, I guess did that what stood out to you about the way Sark managed that game yeah the first and foremost Sark's no dummy and he knows that you got to aim for the head 
against this Alabama team. And they did. Plenty of fourth. I even I was kind of surprised there were a couple fourth downs that they didn't go for. Um, but it's pretty clear that they came in and said, hey, we've got to win this game. We can't just kind of babysit this to the end. But, you know, there's and this is kind of a commentary on Alabama. Watching that game, being at that game, there's nothing that made you think that Alabama was 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 deserved to win that game or was or was going to win that game throughout besides kind of the aura and the specter of Alabama. Like that's the only reason watching that game you think, oh, Alabama still got a shot here. Like Texas, Texas was the better team in that game and won the game. There's a lot of there are a lot of times where those two can be different things, especially against Alabama. I mean, you know, you've seen Ole Miss beat them with acts of God, right? You've seen <laughs> Auburn beat them with an act of God. Like, you know, sometimes it takes some just whoa stuff to beat Alabama, particularly in Tuscaloosa. But that's not what happened on Saturday. Texas was a better team. All right, Richard, let's move on. Uh, I believe you've, I'm, I'm sure you've heard by now, Colorado's kind of a big deal here two weeks in. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're the first person that's uh, America's that. team or whatever we want to call them. Um, all right. Do you believe will Colorado beat their win total by the end of the month? And if you want to add this as well, do you think they finish with a winning record? By the end of the month, no. Winning record, I think, is within the realm of possibility. I, like, I we're looking at a bowl team. I mean, I, that offense is too good at this point in time not to bowl. Um, it, it, it's just, you know, I thought they were, this was like a four and eight, maybe three and nine football team sure. coming into the season. It's it's pretty clear that like six wins is right around where they're at, if not a couple more. Um, I still definitely have questions about what's going to happen up front. I definitely, uh, you know, Nebraska, before it kind of really went to hell in a handbasket there, showed that you can run the ball against this Colorado front. I expect, particularly USC and Oregon, with the ways those offenses are built, to actually try to run the ball and actually execute that pretty well. Um you know, but they're going to have an offense that's going to be able to supernova and keep them in a lot of these games. Uh, as you saw, that offense in the second half kind of put the hammer down. Um, they obviously had to attack Nebraska's defense differently than they did TCU. And a lot of that has to do with, I think, the fact that Nebraska's defensive execution was a lot better than TCU. Nebraska actually knows how to tackle. Um, I think Nebraska <laughs> also got into a situation where they made Shadur try to be a big boy. They said, we're rushing three, we're dropping eight, and we're making Shadur make some decisions here. We're making Shadur force the issue and press the issue. Um, I, they are going to get into some trouble at some point in time unless Shadur gets rid of the ball. And, and that's a big thing that's going to happen. He, I understand why he doesn't want to give up on plays, uh, particularly when you've got guys like a Jimmy Horn and, and a Travis Hunter who can make second order plays work. And you know, Shador can, can run around a little bit back there. I don't think he's a, a willing scrambler. Or I don't think he is a, a scramble first quarterback, but he absolutely can run around and do some things behind there. But this holding on to the ball too much is going to get them in some trouble. I think moving forward here in some of these games, if it's something that can, that continues, you know, it, I understand why he doesn't want to give up on plays, but sometimes you have to, to, to live another down. It, it was fascinating to watch live. Um, he really keeps you're, – you're right. He's definitely not a scramble first guy. He really keeps his eyes downfield uh, in that offense, e even though like he knows going into games just because of what they've got up front, there is going to be pressure. And I think um, you know he, he gave Nebraska's D.C. Tony White a lot of credit for the plan they had. 
he felt a lot of heat, but man, I was just blown away in that game by the way that he handles pressure knowing it's coming. And you're right, there 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 is playing with fire there a little bit, especially against better teams, but I was just really I just the he stayed I, I didn't really see him freak out and kind of uh really be bothered by that heat at any point last week. No, it's 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 just making sure he takes the ball to the right places and on time to those places. Uh, that's the thing that's going to be we're going to have to see. We're going to see how that involves. You know, what what was what was very clear was that Nebraska was going to take away his safety valve out of the backfield because Dylan Edwards. They they were not up here for what TC like letting the TCU thing happen where Dylan Edwards just get to run wild because we forget about him out of the backfield. Nebraska said, "All right, take away the security blanket, make him make some legitimate decisions, and, and make him be a real deal quarterback back there in the pocket." You know, I think it was a little slow going there in the first half, obviously, but in the second half they started to get stuff going, and I think that's the thing you kind of have to count on the fact that at some point in time. Colorado's going to score, right? If you're a team that's kind of evenly matched with them or, or kind of like a little eye-to-eye on talent, like you would say that Nebraska was, you would say that that TCU was. It, coming into that game, we're not talking about the teams that that I think are demonstrably better than Colorado, like Oregon is and like USC is and like probably Washington is. If you're kind of eye-to-eye with them, you got to understand that that offense is going to score at some point in time. You're going to have to match them kind of tit for tat moving forward. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, Miami with a big win over Texas A&M this weekend, 48-33. They put up some points, brother. They put up some points. Do you believe Miami is for real? Uh, It sort of looks like it at this point in time because (laughs) I think even 33 that A&M put on the board is a little suspect. Like That's not kind of the number if you play that game 10 times that they would put up apparently – um, you know, they had two obviously miscues on special Miami had two miscues on special teams that kind of let those drives be kind of walk in drives and kind of sp- almost spotted them 14 points in some respects. Miami played well. Tyler Van Dyke, when he's protected, the arm is there. There's no question about the arm. The question was the decision making. The question was how the offensive line is going to hold up. You know, I thought the offensive line was going to be better coming into this season, and it's pretty clear that they are. You know, AM was not really able to get significant. Pressure on Van Dyke and significantly affect him, move him off his spots, make him be mobile, which is where I think things break down for him. Uh, so, yeah, if, if Miami's going to block him up and protect him, then we got something. There. All right, Richard, let's let's jump ahead here a little bit. Big matchup coming up in a couple of weeks here. Let's start on one side of it. What about Notre Dame? Are you are you in on Notre Dame three games in? Are they, you know, they're, they're top 10 now? Are, are they real deal? That's impressive, man. I, I would like to know what happens when you don't have a 45-minute locker room break, break uh, lightning break in there, but that was impressive on Saturday. I think Hardman played well uh, once he got going. You know, the, you know the run game is going to play well. It's going to be there. Um, and I think Notre Dame's usage of the tight ends is still going to be impressive and, and give them a little bit of an extra gear um, running the ball and blocking things up. I'm not saying they weren't explosive against NC State. And I think the ability to handle an NC State front is something that fills you with a lot of optimism for Notre Dame uh, because NC State up front is still as good, as aggressive, as fast, as physical as I think you want. Um, NC State's problems, in my opinion, were on offense more than they were on defense on Saturday. Um, But coming into the Ohio State game in in a couple weeks here, yeah, man, like I'm really excited for how this game stacks up. I think Ohio State, 
is better on defense than you may expect on offense though for Ohio State some questions some questions besides you know who at wide receiver um so far you know I, I think maybe you'd like a little bit more from Ohio State through two games and then again I think some of what happened in week one with Ohio State has to do with Indiana up front, which I also think separately uh, has has made some strides forward and is pretty good up front. They made some pretty big portal additions. So it's kind of trying to suss out that transitive September property of what you've seen and who you've seen it against. You can kind of get yourself in a knots there. But so far, you know, Notre Dame has dispatched two teams without a pulse and and pretty soundly beaten another. Um, And I think I've got a lot of optimism for the Irish. All right, I'll, you, you touched on it. On the other side of that, we got an Ohio State team that has, has dropped a, a whopping fifty-eight points through two weeks. Um, I love that. I love that these two teams get a little time to get some things figured out. That we have a, an end of September non-conference game of this magnitude. What, where are you at on the Buckeyes? Should, I, I guess maybe I should ask it this way: Should they be worried that Notre Dame could could beat up on them potentially? Yeah, because last year, right. Last year, we had an absolute rock fight, and and you're just like, all right, well, Notre Dame's never scoring, right? Like, eventually, Ohio State's going to kind of figure it out and, and you know, whatever. But I, if Notre Dame's going to put up points, and Ohio State has to chase in this game in any way, shape, or form, which I don't know that they will, but, like, you know Notre Dame has a quarterback who can force the issue, who can press the issue. You know he's capable of doing that. On Ohio State's end, you know you have a receiver, two receivers that are going to be there. But, you know, I wonder how Marcus Freeman on defense is going to have this Notre Dame team playing. You know, I, I think that previously Notre Dame's or uh, Marcus Freeman defenses are teams that, hey, we're playing man. Um, you know, we're, we're going to match up one to one with you and we're going to make you blank. Marvin Harrison is not a person you can do that to. Uh, you're going to have to figure some stuff out in coverage to try to limit somebody of that talent, of, of that ability. And obviously, Emeka Ibuka, also a standout there. So that is going to be a, a chess match that I think is going to be fascinating because similar to Steve Sarkeesian, Ryan Day is another guy who you count on to come into a big game with a significantly impressive blueprint and then watch Ohio State try to execute it, particularly against Greek defenses. The, the, uh, the Peach Bowl last year, semifinal, different scenario because it's a month run up but it's something that is in your mind of hey you know when big games come ryan day has the ability to bring his best with the game plan and so how those two teams stack up in a couple weeks is going to be fascinating yeah let's uh let's talk about whether there's one big game this week uh involving your alma mater (laughs) 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 for that Oh, yeah. So Florida, Tennessee this weekend. Uh, how are you feeling about your Gators? And, and do you believe – we'll start with Florida. Do you believe in Florida at this point? And what, what have you seen from the Gators so far? I, Florida's biggest problem is going to be a thing that Tennessee can exploit, right? Utah was better than them in week one. I'm not saying Utah was not better than them. But the reason why it looked the way it looked – against Utah was because of the procedural deficiencies, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. They screwed things up procedurally and organizationally multiple times. Um, If you do that against Tennessee, Tennessee is built to break you. They will, they will escort you out of the paint. 
if you are not lined up right, if you are, you know, the, that Tennessee offense is and the tempo and the splits and all that kind of stuff, they before the ball is snapped, they are built to test you organizationally. If Florida's not ready to meet that test, it's gonna get ugly. But if they are and they can play with Tennessee, um, you know, it, game script then kind of comes into um, um, into the focus. Is Florida with Graham Mertz, are they going to try to control the game? Are they going to try to kind of sit on it and 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 take the air out of the ball and not let Tennessee have much of the ball? Uh, is Tennessee going to be able to get out into an early lead, in which case then Florida may have to chase? Um, you know, how on point is Joe Milton going to be on Saturday? You know, is this a situation of – well, we know Joe, the, the classic, we know Joe Milton is going to be able to throw deep. Can he throw underneath with time, with accuracy, um, and 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 figure that out? So th- I think a lot of it ends up being game script dependent with Florida and Tennessee. It, it's going to be a fascinating matchup uh, on Saturday night. And with Tennessee, you mentioned Joe Milton. Where are you on Milton and, and on Tennessee? Obviously had a big year last year, uh, that program. But where, where are you on where they're headed in, in 2023? This is this is kind of the game where you're going to see, you know, you dispatch with Virginia, fine, um, and then you beat an FCS team. I'm not even really like, look, I know they didn't put up 60 points against that FCS team, but whatever. This is it for Joe Milton, and this is a like, this is where we see like it's not just how it's her arm, it's it's how are you a complete quarterback in this system? And I think that Tennessee, a, a thing we always forget about Tennessee is that Tennessee offense. A hypo offense, you have to run the ball effectively. And I think that you can say a lot about Florida, but I think Florida is actually pretty confident in their ability to an extent to defend the run. And so uh, that's the thing that more than anything else I'm going to be able to show or or I'm going to be looking for on Saturday is how Tennessee is a, a complete offense in that game. Are they able to run the ball? Are they able to take a little bit of the pressure off of Joe Milner? Are they able to kind of sustain drives in that way? They were last year. They ran the hell out of the ball against Florida in that game last year. How does that how does that translate on Saturday against the Gators? Good stuff. RJ, thanks so much for joining us. Richard Johnson, college football writer, SI.com, co-host, Split Zone Duo Podcast. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Always a pleasure, guys. All right, it's time for our weekly grab bag segment. We've done a stock watch. We've done some lead pipe blocks. I think we've done uh, we've done a few different things this week. We're going to do a little bit of a heat check. We're 2 weeks in. We've gotten a lot of different results. We we can kind of assess a little bit of which direction teams are going and how fans are feeling about their respective situations and thought it might be a good time to check in and see just how hot things are getting for certain programs and coaches. Uh we're, we we want we can rate this max. We can go mild Looks like a hot hot sauce style, mild, medium, mm-hmm. hot. Um, I, I like to say damn hot because uh, once upon a time when I went to Addie B's, they have hot damn hot on the menu. Uh, and then we can go Carolina Reaper, uh, or which is I what, think whatever whatever is. you think is appropriate for for how scorching hot we're getting here. And you know, Sam, this is, this is a list just based on the way things are shaking out so far this season. This is a list that is extremely in your backyard. <laughs> this, is, this is a lot in my backyard uh, unfortunately <laughs> but before we before we get to that a quick funny story on hattie b's the first time i ever went to hottie b's hot chicken in in nashville i was very confident you know I, I was like yeah i can handle spicy food no problem right 
So I go look at the menu and the the top ones are Shut the Cluck Up, which is the hottest one, and Damn Hot. I went for the Damn Hot because I was like, you know what? I eat spicy food pretty regularly. Sure. Brother, not a good decision. Not a good decision. I was I was covering I was in there. I think I was covering the Liberty Bowl in mm-hmm. uh two thousand or Music City Bowl. It's a Music City Bowl in 2014, 2015. Uh LSU Notre Dame. And brother, I wasn't sure I was gonna make it to the Liberty Bowl <laughs> <laughs> after <laughs> after going going in. I was sweating uh ten minutes in and uh it, I was drinking all the water and milk I could get because uh I didn't I didn't I have never had a eating experience where I sweat quite like that. So I, I had one of those last year where I, a buddy of mine, I was in Nashville, a buddy of mine took me to, to Hattie B's and I was sleeping on his couch that night and it was just like a long sleepless night. I was just so sweaty <laughs> and so uncomfortable and I hadn't gone, I hadn't even gone damn hot. I think I went hot. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, people, people come in overconfident in that, but it's a great spot. Um, and, and, you know, you get some variants. Sometimes you go in and hot, hot's pretty fine. And sometimes it's really hot. Um, this is a this is just a PSA. I mean, Hattie B's is is great spot, but uh, don't be a fool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, go go in. Uh, uh, be prepared. Be modest. Uh, be be deliberate. But anyway, let's uh, let's talk. Let, let's get the to first... some coaches who have have you know some of them um, have not been as modest as others. <laughs> some some of them have it. Uh, Dana Holgerson at Houston, the, the Cougars. Uh, they were down twenty eight nothing in the second quarter to Rice. Came all the way back to tie at 28, sent it to overtime, and then lost 43-41 in double overtime to Rice. First Bayou Bucket win for Rice since 2010. And Houston, which plays TCU this week in its first Big 12 game as a conference member. The wind has kind of been taken out of the sails a little bit heading into that game now uh, with both teams having a loss. But we're in year five of the Dana Holgerson era, Max What's your temperature check or your gauge on Daniel Holgerson right now? Well, shout, first of all, shout out to JT Daniels, your boy that you wrote about a couple weeks ago. Nice to see him have a have a, a, a moment like that. Four hundred one yards. Um, Sam, have you ever asked Daniel Holgerson about his <laughs> uh, his job security? I feel like there's a quote from the off season that you got from him. What was that quote again? Yeah. So funny story about that. I, believe it or not, did not ask him about his coaching status. I did not ask him about the hot seat. That I did that that was not how that quote came up. He said that it, so I asked him about recruiting. I asked him, like, hey, how much of recruiting is for this year, this year's roster, and how much of it is for building two to three years down the road? And he starts going on about how, yes, you everything's been recruited toward this year. He goes, You got a high school recruit to build down the road. He goes, but You've got some people who are putting 70 to 80% of their roster out of the portal because they know they're done if they don't win this year. He goes, that ain't me, brother. And he's like, he's like, I, I don't understand what all this hot seat talk is. He goes, I, I got the quote here. You've got the quote? Read it I out. The quote. Read it out. Because I don't have We won 20 me. games in two years. We won bowl <laughs> games in back-to-back years. I have five years on my contract with an effing impossible buyout. <laughs> so there ain't no effing hot seat in my mind. There just ain't. <laughs> yeah that uh that one's not agent really of course you probably that. have the audio of that the audio of that would probably be way more enjoyable than my reading of it but you know yeah it, it, and it, it took me it took me it took me by surprise a little bit when it came out although i, I will say dana was a very very comfortable very confident mm-hmm. uh, and i think feel, feels like he's in a really good spot at houston and i don't necessarily think at the time that he was wrong because 
He does have a really significant buyout. I think it's $15 million or more, uh, which at Houston is not a place that really doles out those kinds of buyouts to get rid of mm-hmm. coaches. That This mm-hmm. is just... This is a program that's been in the group of five for a long time, so they've not really been flushed to do that, uh, like you see at some of the Power Five programs. So that's to, to be taken into consideration. But 20 games in two years, yes, but that was 12-2 and two in 2021. You went to the conference championship. That was 8-5 and five in 2022, in a year that people expected or hoped that Houston would go to New Year's Six and win 10-plus. You looked at the schedule and you thought, Hey, that 2022 Houston team is one that could win 10 or more. They go eight and five. They lost some games they probably shouldn't have. And so you go into the Big 12 and you don't really feel like you have the momentum that you should have. So that quote didn't hit well with people, certainly, but more than that. But losing to Rice doesn't hit well either. That that's it. That's really it. It's the results. It's 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 not, and it's not only the results. It's how do you play, and it's falling behind twenty-eight nothing, really creates a lot of consternation at a place that, by the way, had a president, I think six, seven years ago, said that we fire coaches at eight and four. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Renu Couture, the Houston president, she said that, and I know that's kind of lived in infamy for a while. Uh, and of course, they got rid of Major Applewhite after two seasons of basically those caliber of results in the win-loss column. Um, so what is what, what is this, Sam? Is it is it hot? Is it damn hot? Like your just your sense being there in Houston. Obviously, like I, when I looked at TC, when I looked at Houston, I did not have eight win expectations for them this year, first year in the Big Twelve. But being mm-hmm. in the Big Twelve certainly impacts um, perception a ton, just in terms of where are we really at relative to the rest of these programs. How long will it take us to catch up? Is this the pers- right person to to lead us in, in catching up? What what's the what what's the heat rating you're putting on on Dane Holgerson here? I think it's damn hot right now. I really okay. do. because I, I they they're gonna have to either get to a bowl game in my opinion or they're gonna have to win some games that you don't expect them to win, like when Texas comes to town in October. Mm. Which right mm. now, if you if you line those two <laughs> teams up, there's no way. I, I don't see it happening. So. Would he get an extension gonna, if they beat Texas in that game? <laughs> that was a, that was one of my questions. <laughs> that will mean like, a what lot if you, to them if that happens? What if you don't get to a bowl game but you beat Texas? Like, how does that play? Like, I'm curious. Plays I'm well. curious how that I plays. Can assure you, it plays well. Uh, and you're yeah, one chance it, to play Texas, you know. And and certainly they're probably not going to get a chance to play them for a long long time. But the way it's, I think it's the way they lost, and you know they they came all the way back and, and they credit for fighting back. Donovan Smith did a good job leading that comeback. But you ultimately lost the game against a team that you really needed to beat. And a cross-town rival, a program that, at least from the numbers, you're out recruiting. And this is not the way to start the Big 12 tenure. Now, what if you go beat TCU this week? Does that does that calm some people down a little bit? Maybe so. I don't know. I, I think this is certainly hot. But I, I lean damn hot at the moment as, okay. as we go along. I think they got to get to a bowl game. Let's go to your neck of the woods, Nebraska. Now, mm-hmm. this is a first-year coach. So I'm going to preface this. This is a first-year coach. So there's really, there's really, and, and the money they give or whatever, there's, there's, there's no way that's happening. But how are they feeling? What's the temperature check on Nebraska and the fan base and how they're receiving year one of the Matt Rule era so far? I think that, uh, I think this own two start has been uh, rather depressing. 
for Nebraska fans. Um, I think it is the how you lose that is uh, is getting very bothersome. Um, that a lot of that predates Matt Rule, but certainly to see uh, as many turnovers as as this offense and specifically Jeff Sims have produced, um, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. It's pretty tough to watch for the for these fans. You know, I think that expectations were probably like a little bit closer, like this being like a six win team this year. Don't think that's completely off the table, especially when you look at the Big Ten West um, and and the potential for improvement here. Matt Rule did say today Jeff Sims is their starting quarterback. That being said, can't keep turning the ball over. Um, I don't think that there's a really good option in terms of benching him either. So I think they got to kind of figure out um, if, if you don't have a backup that you really believe in, then um, how do you do a better job of tailoring the offense to what he does well and trying to cover up what he doesn't do well? Um, I think that they, you know, they've got a couple, uh, G five games coming up here, a chance to get it to two and two before Michigan comes to town. Um, and this would be Matt rules first home game, which is, that's, that's kind of an odd vibe, right? To be zero and two rolling into your first home game as head coach, right? It's usually Mm -hmm. a big celebration again and and an easy win and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, Matt rule is unfireable, uh, from, from a contract standpoint. Um, he's basically unfireable for the first like three or four years of the contract. I mean, they are deeply, deeply invested uh, financially in in this working out, and I don't think people are turning on on Matt Rule at all. Um, so I would I would certainly not go. I mean, I mean, it's basically not even mild at this point. Like you, you know, but but I think there's definitely a ton. I'm I'm sure he is picking up on it. There is a ton of angst. Some of this he inherited, and uh, and and he's kind of seen you know why why it's been such a struggle here. Nebraska just needs to to play a lot more competent football, um, and and just even if they get out talented, um, you know, can they can they be a team that can hold up for four quarters and like they did against Minnesota, and uh, just play play a better brand of football than than what it's been so far because all those miscues and and mistakes and turnovers and stuff just kills you. It, it breaks people's hearts around here. So it's not even mild, um, but. The displeasure is definitely it's definitely pretty pretty high around here because these these people are just sick of it. They're just sick of yeah, sick of tuning uh, in and and watching the same old story. I think was it somebody on the sound off yesterday commented that it's year one for Matt Rule, but it's year ten for these fans. <laughs> it is yes, <laughs> it's it's, yes. it's 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 a lot of built up angst that that Rule's not been around for, and so I understand that. And the one thing that I will say this. In matter and there's a lot, mean, and, the, and there's a ton of second guessing too. That that's yeah. going on. I mean, the the whole Jeff Sims, Casey Thompson thing. Like, there's some of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff that fans, um, you know, it, when you're having these kinds of games, there's just a lot of things that that that, that folks are going to be bothered by because, uh, you know, the results just continue to be bad. Yeah, I I'll say this, and this is something that one thing that I didn't mention that I had some concern about with all the optimism about rule, which I think is, is warranted. He's done a really good job building the programs at Temple and, and Baylor, and he's got a proven track record so far. But one thing that's consistent of those programs was the toughest, the, the hardest year, the worst year in a Matt Rule program is year one. And that, that's a dynamic we've seen play out. So if there was one thing that I was concerned about in Nebraska this year, it's that it's just kind of how year one. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of how things go with Matt Rule in year one. Sure. So sure. Uh, and then, then the jump comes in years two and three, and 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 that's where that's the way the trajectory goes. Because I think the blueprint 
makes sense and it's worked. And and I do think it has potential working here. But when you, like you said, combining, hey, you're going to have a roughier one after they've already had the last, you know, four or five rough years in the Scott Frost era, plus, you know, everything that preceded that, it's. It's a tough time. Yeah, I mean, no, no coach right is going to – you kind of wish more coaches would come out in year one and just be like, this year's going to suck. But they never do, right? It's always <laughs> Billy like – Billy Napier. Billy Napier kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that they were a little bit more optimistic than this year's going to suck. Um, and I don't think they're doomed to this year's going to suck. But uh, it's a sucky feeling at the moment. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's some, you know – the, the the stove's on there a little bit. There's there's a little heat. Um, yeah, and then just pressure to to just get this thing better. And they've got a couple of weeks here where they got to do that. Okay, Sam, we've been building up to it. People must be wondering why we haven't gone here yet. Okay, <laughs> please give the people the Jimbo Fisher heat check. Yeah, this one's tough. What are we doing? Because go back. We go back to the contract again, right? Just like you were talking about with rule. The contract is there's seventy five million, I believe. I have to go pull up my spreadsheet that Jimbo Fisher buyout tracker uh, that I have. It's 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 well. <laughs> you just over plug in million. the day of the date of the loss, and they tell you how much money he's owed from here on out. That'd be a good track. Yeah, to build. I, I, yeah, I do. I do have one. Let me actually. I'll pull it up right now. Um, I, I took it was something I did in the off season. I just took what his remaining salary would be every month for the rest of the contract. So where what are we Smart. in? We're in. Smart. September 2023. It's called folks. Sam's all seven, over it. 79 million. So 79.8 million to the start of September. October 1st, they'll drop to 79 million, 87,500. So there's your... Uh, so, oh, that's just 79? <laughs> just 79. Highest just 79. buyout okay. ever paid, by the way, was 21 to Gus Malzahn at Auburn. So this is uh, way, way beyond that. So that is what complicates the Jimbo Fisher angst because and i had this buy, conversation with a lot Russ of nice Gordon. things with 79 million too you I mean, can you know you absolutely can i i think the aggies can. can come up with it but man just that's that that is a lot of money it's a lot of money to pay somebody to not coach football and that is that is true i i i, I would I never this. coach again if i got a 79 million dollar check i promise <laughs> you, you give, give me seven million i'll i'll take it uh that the the issue here is i, I talked to ross bjork the athletic director before the season and he said mm-hmm. He said, this is not a situation. He goes, we built this to last. He goes, this is not a situation where, well, if it doesn't happen this year, then what are we going to do? So, but you say it's easy to say that before. And that was a conversation he and I had before the season started. Now, A&M lost to Miami, not looking good. Defense looked terrible. Terrible. Uh, Offense didn't look as good as it did in week one. Uh, you know, they had they as Richard Johnson mentioned earlier when we talked that of those 33 points, a couple of them were on short fields after special teams turnover. So that there's a little bit of concern there. But we're in year six of the Jimbo era. So there's a lot of frustration here because this is a coach that was hired to win at least an SEC championship. They haven't played for one yet uh, and contend for a national championship. They did flirt with that in 2020, but that's been kind of declining since then, at least in terms of wins and losses. The recruiting is there. There's talent there. I watch that I watch that game and I watch I see those guys get off the bus. They have a ton of talent. They have way mm-hmm. too much defensive line talent to not be getting any pressure on the quarterback, which they got very little pressure on Tyler Van Dyke. Meanwhile, Connor Wegman was getting getting it from all different angles. Lance Gidry sending blitzes all over the place for Miami. So 
I would say it's hot, but I don't know if it can. I don't know if it can get beyond that because it just the contract situation is an issue. But here's the factor, though: when Texas A&M loses to Miami, it looks like that. And later that night, a few hours later, Texas goes and beats Alabama. And oh, by the way, Texas is joining the SEC next year. Mm-hmm. Max, you've been around this state and this this the dynamic of these two programs. When one coach and one program is rising, the other one's kind of lagging. It kind of changes the calculus. Absolutely matters. Yes, these are all these are totally tangled up in that in that sense that um, I think there is a real oh shit, we can't let Texas come in with all this momentum and we are in a bad spot, right? I mean, I I I think that's a thing. So I guess if we're two games in on A and M, Sam, like. Do they have to win eight of their last ten? Nine, nine, nine and three. If you're nine and three at the end of the year, I think A and M fans feel good. I think they okay. feel good with nine and three. Uh, but you're asking to win eight out of ten the rest of the way with uh, most of those eight of those games are SEC games. Mm-hmm. So that's a little that's asking a lot for this program right now. Uh, I I was in the camp before the season that I thought. They'd be in the eight and four, nine to three range. And this Miami game was a swing game in that conversation. Mm-hmm. So now I'm very much more in the eight and four camp that, that, you know, they, so they've got Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and LSU. Can they win six of those games? Cause then you say they win the two non Well, what if they're, what if they're, I mean, they've got to go, they got to play Alabama and Tennessee back to back before their mm-hmm. bye week, right? Mm hmm. That's so correct. if you are four and three at the bye week, oh, oh, is it good. over? Is that's it? We good. need to win out to save the job. Like, What's you know Texas's what I mean? Like record what? at that point is Texas seven and zero at that point. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if Texas is seven that's and zero, so funny. You're like, yeah. Who does Texas play that week though? Because you might be right. That probably is a factor. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Texas is off is. that week after playing Red River. Yeah. I'll tell and you then they'll be playing probably Houston. warming up. The, whose seat is warming up is DJ Durkin because that defense was atrocious. It was. And so that, that. But, but eight and four and we'll fire the DC. Is that, is that get you? In year the, six. Yeah, I don't know. In, in year, year six. six that's, ugh, I don't know, man. But eight, but eight and four is better than five and seven, right? So I don't know. That whole situation is very complicated because of, because of the contract. And yeah, it's just a, not I mean, that's yeah, a good point. That. You could say, hey, we're three games better than last year. I mean that's that's improvement, but but if you're if they're eight and four and Texas goes to the playoff, I don't be, know, man. It's 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 going to be interesting, buddy. This is uh this is a very complicated situation. Before we go, we have a story of innovation and change, and it's sponsored by Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Sam, you have a piece coming this week on the evolution of the general manager role in college football. I know you've talked with several of them. How are they changing the game? Yeah, this is a fascinating dynamic in college football right now with everything that's changed in the sport with the one-time transfer rule, the advent of the transfer portal, the way rosters are built. It, it is totally different than it was 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, where most programs were signing 25 high school recruits a year and then 
maybe you get one or two transfers and and typically it would be a grad transfer. Now, this is these are starting these departments are starting to run almost like NFL style setups and so as a result you have either a director of player personnel which I think it's titled at most places and some places have moved on and called them a general manager that is essentially in charge of your roster management. And and so I dove into this for this story and talked to a few different guys, James Blanchard at Texas Tech, uh uh Zach Grant at Cincinnati, Wes Fritz at Tulane. I've talked to some head coaches, talked to Matt Rule at Nebraska, uh, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, a few others, just Rhett Lashley at SMU to get just a sense for how this is changing, how this is evolving, because it used to be, again, you just kind of signed a high school class every year and that was it. But now I would argue that having a really good director of player personnel or really good general manager is almost as important as hiring your strength coach. You know, it used to be right when you head coach got hired, the first, the most important hire, the first hire was a strength coach because that's the guy who's around your players all year. Well, to me, the next most important hire or just as important now is your DPP or your GM because you got to build a roster to put out there and, and win football games. And I don't care how good your coaches are. If you don't have players that can play, <laughs> it, that's, that's kind of an issue. So the GM and DPP is like super important these days. Well, you know, Sam, and, and people might just think, oh, well, that's just a, you know, a, a recruiting coordinators going for a little bit nicer sounding title and stuff. But certainly the role itself has evolved a lot in in the past few years. I've talked to, to GMs who look, they 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 don't work for the collective, but they have to work with the collective. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. there's certainly the NIL component of it that you have to really oversee even though those things can't be really fully handled internally. Um, and, and, and even that relationship has evolved over the past few years, but, but also, um, you know, Sam, uh, you know, as you've written, like when it comes to making personnel decisions in this really um, wild market of high school and transfer recruiting, I know Texas tech is an example where, um, you know, these GMs actually are be given, being given more power than ever before. Yeah, that that's the fascinating dynamic. And, and that is one of the things that really intrigues me about this whole evolution is how much control does a DPP or GM have? Because I talked to some head coaches who are like, no, I'm the GM at the end of the day. I'm making the decisions and, and I want to bring those players. In. And I would think I, most coaches and most situations that I'm aware of is the head coach is ultimately making the call on who's, br- who's bringing that player in. But at Texas Tech, with Joey McGuire and and James Blanchard, Joey McGuire has given James Blanchard the green light to offer players without having to consult him. And that's something that is pretty rare in this industry right now. Now in the NFL, it, it, that's, that's kind of what it's set up like because sure. you have a GM who runs the player personnel and runs that department and brings the players and you have the coach that coaches them. You don't really have, you have very separation much. of front office and coaching. Staff. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so that's kind of how Texas Tech is set up. Now, that's not to say that that James Blanchard is making all these decisions unilaterally. Jo- Joey Joey's kept abreast of all of them. Like if, but the the whole point is the reason they did that was because McGuire wants to be fast. He wants them to be offering players early because Texas Tech wants to be able to say, "Hey, we're one of the first ones. We are the first one or one of the first ones to offer you." And so if Joey's in a meeting or on the practice field, and they I did, and James Blanchard and his staff with uh, Brian Nance or Sean Kinney or Jake Pittman, if they end up finding somebody, they're not going to wait. They're going to say, hey, let's call the high school coach now and let's let him know he's got an offer. And the reason why it works that way at Texas Tech is because Joey McGuire and James Blanchard see exactly eye to eye on what a Texas Tech football player looks like. 
they, the speed, the vertical, the shuttle time, the height, weight, arm length, all that stuff. And, and all those positions, they know what it looks like. Now, it's not for everybody. There is one exception. Quarterbacks, Zach Kitley, that's Zach Kitley's department because quarterback is a different, different beast. And Joey said, quarterbacks, kickers, and punters are the ones that really don't fall into that category. Those are all different evaluations for yeah. them. But everybody kind of else, usually for them, yeah. yeah, everybody else, Blanchard has a lot of reign and autonomy. And I even asked Joey, it's like, how did you sell that to a guy like Tim DeRuiter, who's the defensive coordinator, who's been coaching for decades and has coached NFL draft picks? Like, how do you sell him on the fact that, hey, we're going to let the go- recruiting department go offer these guys before you even get a chance to see them? And he said it took time, it took trust, and it took mm-hmm. including them in the process show, here's how we're doing it, here's why we're doing it, here's the data that backs up the results that we're getting. Because, by the way, Joey McGuire got all these ideas a lot from working for Matt Rule at Baylor because they instituted this, this type of style at Baylor, which helped them eventually get to a Big 12 title game in 2019, and then eventually the core of that roster won a Big 12 title in 2021 and produced six draft picks. So... Uh, it, it's fascinating because, like you said, that that to me is the next frontier is the autonomy. How much control are these guys going to have? You know, Sam, I was at the, the personnel symposium, which is a great event in Nashville back in, in August. And uh, James Blanchard was on a, on a panel there. And you certainly got the sense from a lot of people in the room um, that they 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 want the Texas Tech model to work. They want mm-hmm. James Blanchard to be successful in this role because they want more coaches to understand and believe in this idea of trusting the personnel people to make personnel decisions. You're right. I mean, I, I think just historically, um, it has the, these people a lot of times do all the legwork in terms of evaluation and relationship building and stuff, but they're still ultimately offers are decided on by by assistants and by head coaches and things like that. And so I think there are a lot of people that want to see the GM model and specifically the way Texas Tech has gone about it. Um, be proven successful because they want to point to their head coach and say, look at these guys. Why can't we do it that way? Yeah, because and it also I think because it creates that power. It mm-hmm. also creates more jobs because yes. if the personnel departments are valued, then you're going to put more resource into it. And that's another thing that I saw in reporting the story out is that so many programs are expanding their personnel departments. They a lot of them have a, a staff that's designed and dedicated specifically to high school recruiting, and a staff that's designed specifically dedicated to transfer recruiting and junior co- college or junior college scouting. And so that that that's important because you've got to know what kind of players you're bringing in. And when speed is of the essence, and Max, you know this from dealing with the portal, transfer portal players are making decisions quickly. Mm-hmm. So when they go in the portal, you better know quickly if you need to you offer, better offer them. that and day. Yeah, that's you have to offer that day, and in some cases within the first you know hour, a couple hours. And so that's where there's that's where the GMs, the DPPs, and assistant DPPs and scouting directors they come in is because like hey we can pull up the film real quick we don't got to stop what we're doing this is this is their job is evaluating all day and so uh, one of the things that Blanchard had brought up to me is like why would you assign somebody the responsibility of bringing a guy in where they don't have all the information as where as opposed to the GM and the assistant DPPs. And the scouting directors, they all have the information because they are doing this around the clock every single day. They're the ones doing the scouting and uh, and sussing out through who fits their program. Well, thanks so much. Thank you all for listening and tuning in to Until Saturday, Max and Sam. Be sure you're following the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe so you can know when new episodes are up. 
Of course, we always appreciate those five-star reviews. Hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel so you can join us live every Thursday, every Saturday night, and every Sunday for the sound off. Uh, subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter. Check the link in the show notes so you can have the daily fill of college football news in your inbox. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for joining